We are continuing in our journey following Abraham's life and what God did in this man and how he brought him to the place he could be, place he should be. And so today we pick up in the book of Genesis with his story. Now before we get to that, what do the words road trip mean to you? I know, uh, I guess, uh, just like a good Bible understanding, the context determines whether or not it's a good phrase or not. If a road trip involves a lot of mileage leading you to a tiring, boring business trip, uh, they may not be so welcome. But for me, road trip, and I, you know that I don't like to drive already. I'm not, that's not my favorite pastime. But for me, a road trip takes on a whole new meaning if it's connected to a major theme, family. Now, this is not my family on the screen, but I've been there. I remember making trips from California to Texas during summer to visit family, and uh, on a couple of occasions, we were in a station wagon, and that was long before anybody knew better. We would get in the back, pile in and go to sleep during the nighttime driving. Uh, I remember leaving Vacaville, California and wanting so badly to get to my family in Texas. And it took a long time. Now the process, even then, even when I wasn't driving, the process wasn't the most fun thing. Uh, we did get to see some cool sights along the way. I got to see the Royal Gorge and, and uh, things like that. And it was really neat. But... We were in cramped quarters. I usually had to sit in the middle on the back seat. And I probably made the trip harder on my sisters. uh, Because it was really fun to spread my legs and touch them. And to breathe on them and all that kind of stuff. We had a dad who wanted to stop the least amount of times he could. And so we would lean up to mom, whoever had the task, who drew the short straw, and we'd whisper, Mom, tell him you have to go. He'll stop for you. There were varying degrees of road sickness in the trip among my siblings. I never had it, but my sisters did, and one of them had it really bad. But that wasn't what the trip itself, getting from point A to B and then on to other grandparents at point C, It wasn't the trip that I enjoyed, it was the destination. Because I was going to get to see my grandparents. And I was going to get to see my cousins. And we were going to have lots of fun. And for me still today, a road trip, whether I'm driving or if it's a sky trip and I'm flying, the trip is worth it when I get to be among those I love. When I get to reunite with family spread far apart. When I get to visit friends I haven't seen in a long time. Road trips are worth it when we come to destinations where love flows. Now longing to see one's loved one is an important part of being human. And I think most of you understand that. I've been seeing some heads nod along the way. You, you get those road trips that take you back home. 
But today in our text, we're going to look at one of the greatest road trips of all time. And I ask you to stand as we look at the Word of God together, Genesis 12, 4 through 9, and listen with both ears and your heart to the Word of God. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We find our man. After a delay of many years, Abram got on the road again. And our text tells us that Abram continued the journey of faith. He did not reach the final place, but he was continuing. As we look at our own lives, and as those times that we've lost our way, we can learn from Abram. Because I believe, just like him, we need to move forward in our walk with God after we've had a setback. When we stumbled, we could, I suppose, just stay there. But God is calling us to move forward. So today we're going to look at the details of Abram's story and see how they touch us. The very first thing we see in this passage of Scripture is that a step of faith is taken. A step of faith is taken. After maybe as many as 15 years staying in Haran, we find out that this man of God who heard the call of God, left Ur, got as far as Haran, we learn that Abram finally renewed the journey of faith to which he had been called. He finally started again. Now, after a 15-year delay, Abram might have thought, what's the point? But he didn't. He remembered the call of God, and he pushed forward. As he headed out, we find out he didn't travel alone. Of course, he brought Sarai, his wife. She will be integral in the plan of God. He also brought Lot with him. Now, I share with you, there's a considerable amount of people who believe that Abram had probably adopted Lot. Terah had him in his household. When Terah died, Abram welcomed him into his household, adopted him. For his brother Haran had died, Lot's father. But, some believe the reason Abram adopted Lot might not have just been I want to take care of my brother's son. Lot was an adult. 
Some believe that this might be one more example, and we'll see this happen several times. One more time, Abram might have been trying to help God. That whole thing, you're going to be the father of a nation, well now I haven't adopted, so maybe it will be Lot. If that were so, we will discover in his journey that bringing Lot with him would one day cause Abram a great deal of pain. Also, we're told that he took the people he had acquired in Haran. Now, many scholars believe that these were most likely slaves that Abram had received and, and took an end to that, into the big clan. But normally, slaves would be counted in the possessions. So there are some who believe what might be happening here for those 15 years in Haran, while he was not completely obedient, there was enough in his life that called to people. Clyde Francisco, a longtime professor at Southern Seminary many years ago, decades ago, believed that there came a time in Abram's life in Haran where his love and commitment to Yahweh touched other people. And so it's very possible this may indicate that when Abram is going on to Canaan, there's actually a community of faith already started. People who have said, we want to trust the God you do, Abram. And they started following. Now when he got to Canaan, with this large number of people. We don't know how many were involved. When he got to Canaan, he found out the Canaanites are in the land. There were already people there. So Abram is coming into Canaan and he's looking for the place God promised him and there's a slight obstacle. There are people there. And there are people that Abraham would have known a lot about. While they worshipped other gods, the Canaanites were very much like the people in Ur. They were pagan. They worshipped false gods. And in Canaan, the primary gods worshipped were fertility gods. So it wasn't just going out into the woods and burning fire. It was going out into the woods and doing deeds that would not be called holy or moral. So he comes there. They're steeped in their pagan, their pagan rituals and belief. But in spite of that, Abram was continuing to trust that whatever God had in store, God was going to take care of. So he begins another big step of faith. This is a big one. And he moves toward God. And so we learn from him in our journeys, after we've stumbled, after we've failed, after we've messed up, we can learn from Abram on the road back, true faith results in action. True faith results in action. It means we hear and we do. We're faced with a principle of truth that it can be found throughout the Word of God. It's not enough to believe facts about God. You may remember that in the book of James, 
James writes to his people, you say you believe in God? That's great. Demons believe too. So he's not saying, do you just have faith in what you've learned, the facts about faith? There has to be something more. There has to be a life committed. There has to be trust. There has to be action. There has to be obedience. Now, I'm not arguing for a works-based salvation. We spent a long time in Galatians. And hopefully you know that I believe we are saved by grace through faith, not of your works, lest anyone should boast. But I also believe that the Word of God clearly says true faith, real faith, produces change. It produces growth in our life. It produces results in our life. That song, trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey carries that idea. Again, not because I'm trying to earn my way to God, but because I love my Lord. And I don't want to be the one who breaks his heart. I don't want to be the one who resists him. So we have everyone here, if you know Christ, everyone in this room, we have within our lives a call from God to actively Follow his path. Simply put, we have to learn to yield ourselves into his hand. Because sometimes what God calls us to do, folks, it doesn't always make sense to us, does it? We don't know Abram's initial reaction when God said, leave your family. There's no discourse about that. But I know my reaction the first time I ever heard in the word of God, love your enemies. Because I was a kid, and I had enemies at school, sometimes among my own siblings, and that idea of loving after what they've done, that doesn't make, to my natural mind, that doesn't make sense. But we have to learn to open our hearts to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to yield ourselves to God to trust God and take that step of faith to actually act on what we say we believe. And for that to happen, for us to actually move forward, for us to, for us to actually grow in this faith, there comes a moment in time when we simply must trust the Lord's leading. We have to trust Him, folks. God, it may not make sense to me now, but I trust that you love me and I trust that your will for me is what is good and I trust that whatever comes in this life, you are with me. And so, Lord, I'm willing. I want to follow your path. I want to walk your road. I want to become the person you created and redeemed me to be. So, God, by your grace and your strength, I want to yield my life to you. I want to quit fighting your purpose. I don't want to fight your will anymore. I want to live for you. I want my life to be guided by you. Because I trust you. When Jessica was an itty bitty thing, I worked for Walmart. 
as well as pastor to church. I'm working on a Master's of Divinity at seminary. My life was crazy. Rachel would bring my daughter up to me when she was just a good toddler and I, to see me, and I usually would go to lunch. And I would put Jessica on the front desk where people came and fussed. I would take two steps back and I would do this. And Jessica would launch into space for me to catch her. And the women behind the service desk, this is the real reason I did it, they freaked out. They couldn't believe it. They said, what are you doing? She's so little. I said, I've never dropped her. But there came a point in time I put her on that service desk and I stepped back and said, and she looked at me like I was crazy. She wouldn't jump. And I know what happened. She kept hearing those women scream. She kept hearing those women get all scared. And she all of a sudden embraced that fear. He never has before, but what if? And part of me died that day. Oh, it was tough. But I understood. Folks, sometimes faith is a leap. Sometimes faith is saying, I don't know where all this will take me. But God, you're worth it. And so I'll follow. Now when followers of God learn to take that next step after stumbling, something wonderful happens. More understanding is given. When we step forward and trust, God shows a little bit more. You see, we find Abram. Leave your land, leave your people, leave your father's household. Go to the place I show you. Abram winds up in Canaan. And God's promise was further revealed when Abram came to the land of Canaan. Abram gets a further understanding of what's going to do. He goes, we're told, to the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. God appeared to him there. This is significant in two important ways. First of all, that great tree of Moreh, and we don't know what kind of tree it is, and it's kind of funny to watch scholars argue. Is, is, was it an oak, a deciduous? Was it an evergreen? Was it a terebinth? We don't know for sure. But the name Moreh means teacher. And there is almost a unanimous agreement that that tree most likely was the site of pagan worship. It was where Canaanites would come and offer sacrifices. It's where Canaanites would come and listen to what their gods were telling them. To find an oracle, to find direction, to have their questions answered. It was a pagan place of worship. And Yahweh, Yahweh chooses to affirm his purpose in Abram at a pagan worship site. Now that's not saying to, that's not meaning to say Abram got mixed up and said, well, I'll find the first pagan place I can and worship God. No, God was affirming to Abram, 
that he had superiority over all of the false gods of Canaan. And so, when Abram gets there, the second important truth, Yahweh, I am that I am, appeared to Abram in order to give him greater insight. Again, we don't know how that appearance took place. We give no words to describe what he saw. But Yahweh shows up. And he tells his servant, Abram, this is the land I'm giving you. You don't have to travel. You don't have to go down into Egypt. You don't have to travel around the world looking for a place. This is the place. And in saying this, Yahweh was letting Abram know the Canaanites would be powerless to stop the purpose of God. I led you here. And I'm telling you, this is going to be your land. This was the place where Abram's descendants would one day fight to take. Where they would occupy, where they would dwell. And so for Abram, this road trip, Abram understands, I'm home. I'm where God wants me to be. Abram never got to occupy the whole land himself. At the time of his death, the only parcel of land he owned was one large enough to bury his wife and himself in a place to worship. But Abram knew this is home. There's a crucial truth that we can learn from Abram here. And this is one, I told you how sometimes God, what he tells us may not make sense to us. Like Abram, Each act of obedient faith brings us closer to the purpose of God. Every step we take, and it doesn't have to be gigantic steps. Abram will take tiny steps and he'll take big steps till he finally takes the largest step of all. In the natural world in which we live, growth can be seen in stages. And Angel was helping our kids see that. Folks, We can't run before we learn to crawl, can we? We can't learn to read until we've learned our ABCs and how those letters connect. And we cannot thrive in relationships until we're ready to open ourselves up to trust. When that little baby understands At whatever level little babies understand, this is mama and this is daddy. And a bond is forming. A bond that hopefully will last throughout life of love and grace. And when we meet those people that are special in our eyes and we think this might be the one, it it counts and needs trust, doesn't it? When You stand in an altar and proclaim, I will forsake all others besides you. And death alone will part us. Folks, that's trust. In our spiritual journey of faith, we can't expect to enjoy instant maturity. No one gets saved and immediately 
that act of salvation brings him to sinless perfection in one breath. In fact, I don't believe we reach sinless perfection here on earth. But we don't even get out of kindergarten when we're first saved. We have to grow. We'll see this continuing in Abram's life. God keeps showing himself to Abram over and over again, letting Abram in on what he's planning. We can see it in our own lives. The more we're willing to take baby steps, exercising our faith where we are and how we can, the more we will move on to a richer and deeper walk with God. We'll come to know him better. We'll come to love him more. We'll come to understand that his is the life which we need to follow. So we need to understand we have a need to move forward. If you've stumbled in your walk with God and you've just decided to sit and rest, you are having a call from God to move forward. And that is only going to happen when we understand that we need to actively trust in God's faithfulness if we hope to move forward in this life. I said we've got to take an active faith. Here I'm pointing to what we have active faith in. God's faithfulness. We learn to trust that He is going to do what He said. This is a key to our being able to move forward. The only reason I can grow as a Christian The only reason I can become closer to what God wants me to be is because God is faithfully ministering grace in my life. And it's the same for you. None of us would grow if God just left us on our own. But He doesn't. He moves. He moves within our lives. He moves within the the things that happen to us in life. And he says, I want to take you further. And we need to learn to trust him. He gives us those promises I talked about last week. And we come to the place, okay God, I may not know the significance of why I need to do this, but your word calls me to this life. And I'm going to be willing to take the step. Lord, I'm willing, if need be, to leap in order to give you glory in my life. So as we learn, we're taking steps with God and each step we take moves us closer to what God wants us to be. The result in our lives will be powerful. When we start growing, something amazing happens to us. Our last detail, open dedication is offered in our life. Open dedication. And I will explain that open part a little bit more in just a moment. But we look at Abram. And Abram establishes a habit the moment he comes into Canaan. Abram began a continuing practice of building altars before the Lord. Everywhere he went, Abram leaves an altar behind. At least in the land of Canaan. We'll 
deal with the fact that he goes into Egypt next week. But he's building altars to God. And twice within this text, twice within this text alone, we're told Abram built altars to God. Now, what is an altar built for? An altar is a place of sacrifice. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us what kind of sacrifice Abram offered, but the fact that he built an altar indicates that Abram sacrificed to his Lord, to Yahweh. And it also stood, that altar, as a declaration. When Abram built that altar for Yahweh, he was telling the people of the land, I serve the God who has brought me this far. Shechem and Bethel would later become important places in the history of Abraham's descendants. It is at Bethel that Jacob encounters God. The name of the town is the house of God. I have seen where God is. And it touched his life. Those of you who are here right after I came, you know that I, I preached a series of sermons back to Bethel where we are saying we want to come back and start fresh with what God has called us to do. It is at Shechem that Joshua, at the end of his life and ministry, looks at the people of Israel and says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve the gods your fathers did on the other side of the river? Back in Ur, Mesopotamia. Are you going to serve the gods of Egypt? Or are you going to serve the living God? You need to choose. And it is between Bethel and Ai that Abram builds an altar and we're told here he called upon the name of the Lord. Now if all that meant was he was saying, God here, I've got a sacrifice for you. Why didn't it say it earlier? Here, going back a few hundred years, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther, as he was translating this, saw that word that we hear as called out, and he said that Abram preached the name of the Lord. Now, quite a few people who think, well, he wasn't too far off. Derek Kidner, who's not centuries ago, Derek Kidner said in this text, Essentially, Abram planted the flag, so to speak. At the heart of the promised land, Abram is declaring openly, this is Yahweh's land, and he's given it to me. Yahweh is the true God, and he's brought me here. So Abram was declaring his God. Everywhere Abram went in his journeys and he built altars before this God. And he was letting the world around him know Yahweh had brought him here. And the significance of this, folks, at the very beginning of what will become the people of Israel, the Canaanites in the land had a witness to the true and living God. They didn't listen. 
and they didn't convert. But when we get to Joshua and the people of Israel coming in, and God says you need to destroy the Canaanites, as harsh as that may sound, folks, they had a witness for a very long time. A very long time. We need to know, as we follow Abram's lead, we need to learn our commitment to God is meant to be more than a merely private matter. Now, my trust in God is a deeply personal thing in my life. When I gave my life to Christ and when I recommitted myself as a teenager many years later, it changed the way I looked at the world. It ordered the way I would live in this world. This walk with God has defined my life and its purpose in the world. And I trust that all of you here who are people of faith could say the same thing. When I became a Christian, you could say I was changed. The Word of God tells us that, doesn't it? New creatures. When we came, our lives were changed. And that's deeply personal. God knows everything about me and loves me. And he saved me that I could call him father. And that's personal. But folks, friend, personal is not the same as private. We see something here. For our lives to truly have meaning in this world, we need to know, we need to understand, we need to embrace that we should be willing to declare our God to an unbelieving world. You see, there's something we need to, we need to get about this world in which we live. I'm like you, I'm horrified by acts of violence that we're hearing over and over again. I'm horrified by leaders who don't always seem to have the best intent for the people they serve. I, I'm terrified by the degree of hatred that I see in this world and anger. But we need to understand this. We cannot expect lost humanity to act as if they are saved. We cannot honestly expect people living according to the principles of this world to embrace the lifestyle that we have chosen and walk with God. We can't understand and think that they will somehow just immediately say yes. But I need you to hear me with both ears in your heart today to see lives change to see people become directed toward God. To see people building spiritual altars like Abraham built a natural altar. We need to be declaring the truth of God and His redemption. I told you last week I'm an American citizen. I take that responsibility very very seriously I vote because I think I need to I obey the laws of the land because I think I need to 
until those laws specifically are addressed to close my mouth about Jesus. Folks, I've shared with you over the course of years I've been with you. I believe with everything in me, the only thing that will bring true change in our land is the finger of God moving across this land and hearts being turned to Him. And that's only going to happen when we take this call seriously. When we follow Abram's lead and start showing the world this is the God we serve. We start telling the world this is the God we serve. Now, not everybody's going to get saved. Jesus said the way to destruction is wide. It's a big path. And a lot of people find that the way to, to life is narrow and not Everybody comes. So yes, there will be a lot of people who never will. But maybe your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your family member, as we start declaring the name of the Lord, maybe they will hear. See, our world needs to see and hear our faith in action. I want to share with you a little snippet of an article um, that a man named uh, Clayton Bell wrote in the Journal of Preaching way back in 1986. Bell wrote about an editorial in the Saturday Post, excuse me, the Saturday Review, that had been written by Norman Cousins, the well-known journalist. I am not validating everything that you hear. I'm just pointing you out to the real truth about being open. About faith. Cousins wrote that he were, a conversation he had on a trip to India. He was talking with a Hindu priest named Satish Parasad. And the man said he wanted to come to our country to work as a missionary among Americans. And Cousins, who was not a person of faith, assumed that he meant that he wanted to convert Americans to the Hindu religion but when asked, Satish Prasad said, Oh no, I would like to convert them to the Christian religion. Now listen carefully to his perception. Christianity cannot survive in the abstract. It needs not membership, but believers. The people of your country may claim they believe in Christianity, but from what I read at this distance, Christianity is more accustomed than anything else. I would ask that you either accept the teachings of Yesu in your everyday life and in your affairs as a nation or stop invoking his name as sanction for everything you do. I want to help save Christianity for the Christian. Some of the most painful things I've ever heard and ever read. And again, Prasad's Perception is not all the truth there was. There have always been true people of faith. But we are a land that is often filled with nominal Christianity. The thing I want you to see by using that quote, folks, the world recognizes when they hear what we say we believe, 
And then we show them hatred and anger. When we say what we believe, and then our lives show no difference, no further commitment. When we say we believe Christ is the only way to life, and we refuse to tell anybody about our Christ, It's more than a shame. We need to understand. We've got to get it. We desperately need to make the step of faith that will lead us further in our understanding of what God wants for us. And as we make a commitment, we need to follow you more faithfully, God. We need to serve you more honestly. We need to let our light shine in this world. We're the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We need to be acting on what we say we believe. And when that happens and we take those steps and we move forward and we commit and we say, here I am, Lord. Make me usable for your kingdom. Help me to see what I can do to shine the light of Jesus in the world in which I live. When that happens, You just, whoa, you just gotta love technology, I guess. Folks, we need to show our faith. We need to do more than talk about it. We do need to talk about it. We do need to tell people, Jesus is the one who's making the difference in my life, but we need to show it. The world needs what we have. They don't know that. They rebel against it. But as we start speaking and telling and the Spirit of God starts moving, some of those people that we think are unreachable, praise the Lord, can be reached. We need to commit to what we have in Christ in order to walk this walk of faith. For us to be on the road again, to me moving forward, the world needs to see what we have. And again, we need to commit to what we have and show them. So today, will you commit yourself to the gracious, loving hands of God? Are you willing here today, not before me, this isn't about you and me right now, This is our hearts speaking to God. Are you willing to say to God, I need you to direct me. I need you to show me what you want to be. In this journey of faith, I need you to make me into what you created and redeemed me to be. Lord, I need to move further on this journey than when I first came to you. And it may be that you have to look at yourself and say, like, like Abram, I spent years in my Haran before I was ready to go, but Lord, here I'm ready. The world is watching. And I don't say that to make you paranoid. I say that to let you know the world is watching us. When we say I'm a Christian, they're waiting to see 
Is he real? Does she really believe what she says? The world is watching us. And we need to be sure that we're showing them the truth. We need to declare our faith just as Abram did. And as we are moving forward in our walk, that can become a reality.